we can see it. Like we can see what they are doing and we live in that reality. So my goal is for investors to act accordingly. If you want to speak out against these things, that's fine, but let's play the game as it is currently being played. And so what I mean by that is inflation is the game of the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And I don't want you to be on the losing side of that equation. Hello, hello. My name is Abel Pacheco, and you're listening to the Five Talents Podcast. How to build wealth like the 1%. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast, how to build wealth like the 1%. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I'm the principal of Five Talents Capital. We're a San Antonio, Texas real estate investment firm, and we're actively invested in 1,500 doors of commercial real estate worth $150 million, much of which is right here in San Antonio, Texas, the Alamo City, baby. I'm also a fund manager, a capital allocator, and a servant leader who learned how to invest like the 1%. And on the Five Talents podcast, I enjoy helping others learn and doing the same. So if you're seeking investment strategies to catapult your family wealth and generate passive income, even in today's volatile market, this show is for you. Because each week we're bringing you interviews with PE firms, investment advisors, financial planners, tax strategists, VC funds, and many others who are highly skilled in handling money, good stewards of capital, and individuals who advise the wealthiest 1% on what to do with their money. So each show, we're going to provide you insights and actionable steps that you can implement to become a better investor. You're always going to learn something that you can apply in your own investment journey on the Five Talents Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host for the Five Talents Podcast, where we talk about how to build wealth like the 1%. So if you're part of that 1%, We're excited. Connect with us. We want to learn as much as possible from you. Vice versa, if you're trying to figure out how to get in, you're going to to love this episode. It's going to be an amazing opportunity to hear from one of the best in the business, Mr. Hunter Thompson. Hunter, how's it going, brother? Doing really well. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. I'm excited to have you on our second show. So this is a second recording, maybe a couple of years ago, right? When COVID was starting and now we get to have you again. And you know, it's amazing learning from individuals like yourself, who's, you know, if you don't know Hunter Thompson, just real quick, he's helped about 400 investors uh, place about $150 million plus worth of capital. So really a lot of people view him as one of the experts in the industry, commercial real estate, mobile home parks, self-storage, retail office, ATMs, crypto, all these different avenues of investing to try to figure out how to create and grow that wealth. And he's one of those you know, pros in the business that we can learn a lot from. So Hunter, let me turn it over to you for a second. Man, in your own words, why don't you give us a good introduction? I know you've been called the Tim Ferriss of, of raising capital. So get, in your own words, man, tell us who you are, what you do. Yeah. So, I mean, the reason I kind of got that nickname from one of our mastermind clients, Logan Freeman, uh, is because I'm super focused on productivity. And the first book I ever read in business that really like hit me in my heart was The 4-Hour Workweek. But if that's the first business book that you read, you're like, okay, my time is my most valuable asset. Okay, I want to build a business around this. But then you got get out into the workspace and like capitalism is like, we don't care. 
no one cares. Your time isn't valuable. Guess what, dude? No one, I got all the time in the world and yet no useful skills. So you, it's really easy to keep your schedule empty if you don't have any useful skills. So that was like me 12 years ago or so. And since then I've done everything I can to basically hone two really important skills and one in particular that makes it so that I barely have 15 minutes. And I'm very grateful for you, Abel, because I know you had to move your schedule around to kind of accommodate this. And to find 15 minutes for me is very difficult because I can do the one thing that every business needs to scale, which is bring money to the table. And it is the main difference between those who can barely pay their bills and those who never have to worry about money again is who can make their fingers, snap their fingers and come up with millions of dollars prior to escrow closing. That's one piece of the skill that I've kind of focused on. The other is capital allocation, wealth preservation, and you know passive investing. And so I want to talk to you today about kind of the economic trends that I'm looking at because everyone's focused on them and how we use that lens to allocate capital accordingly. Yeah, yeah, I love it. <clears throat> There's a couple of things just to kind of highlight, you know, if you missed it, it's what every business needs and why many businesses fail. So if you're an entrepreneur, if you're building a company, trying to make something scale and grow, lack of sales, lack of revenue, lack of income coming in will obviously destroy any business. But if you have the expertise to produce capital, make it appear with snap of the fingers, then you've got a very valuable skill and trait that a lot of businesses, a lot of organizations, industries, you name it, are going to want to highly you have a highly desirable characteristic and skill and trait for you. So just, man, just understand that. And then for the, the business owners on that side, I love the word capital allocator. So there's, you know, let's, let's pause here for a second, because that part in investing in investing world, some of the greatest CEOs, some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time have just been great at allocating capital. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit on that? What, what that means being a good capital allocator? Sure. So, you know, I was introduced to the world of passive investing pretty early on uh, in the sense that it was prior to the Jobs Act in the wake of the Great Recession. 2010, 2011, I was making investments in securities and syndications for the first time before you can even talk about these deals on the internet. And then 2012 happened, which is when the Jobs Act was brought into law. And 2013 was when it was like actioned, I guess, I'm not sure what the right term is there, but it was kind of formalized. And so that created this massive tailwind of interest into the space. And I was just very well positioned to, you know, to be three years ahead of a massive tsunami of interest. And as someone who focuses on trends from an investor standpoint, uh, that has continued. And I think that's going to continue for years because there's 13 million accredited investors. Almost none of them have anything close to what you and I would think would be the optimal exposure to private investments in real estate. So through that lens, I am agnostic in terms of asset classes. I think that mobile home parks, self-storage, and multifamily apartments in particular produce favorable risk-adjusted returns in all stages of the economic climate. And because of that, we're always allocating capital to those niches, but the percentages may change. I know that was a little bit of a word salad, but can I just add one data point on there that'll probably tie it together? Please, please. So when I started investing in, let's say, 2011 or so, the mobile home park business was trading at around 10% cap rates. And I basically was like, this is insane. You could buy a property where 
the tenants actually own the homes the park is positioned on. You could implement zero value add strategy, buy the property in cash. You're not even getting the benefit of leverage and we would produce 10% cash flow year one. And I basically thought either I'm kind of inexperienced and I'm wrong, or this is not going to last. Now, it ended up being that it didn't last. And so there used to be about a 400 basis point spread between multifamily apartments and mobile home parks. Apartments at the time were 6%, mobile home parks were at 10%. And now everything is compressed so much so that the spread between a multifamily apartment and a nearby mobile home park might be 50 basis points. So as that's happened, we've allocated more capital to apartments because we think on a risk-adjusted basis, that's more favorable. So as someone who's agnostic in asset classes, we can participate in that manner as the economies change. Right. I love it. No, definitely not a word salad, a little technical, which I, I love as well. But the capital allocator, man, just whatever business you're in, if you can place capital in the right specific set, that's exactly what Hunter is talking about. You're always seeking yield. You're always trying to figure out the best earnings ratio for your for your dollar and best return of uh, return on your investment. So you're just trying to figure out what to do. And I love I love hearing that about you, Hunter. It's like, hey man, what's what's performing today? What's performing tomorrow? And you know, how did it perform last week and year and month? And let's figure out the trend and let's go, you know, ride, ride the wave, right? Where's it going? So I do wanna I, I wanna dive in a little bit to some technical items. I, I think you have a lot to say on the economy, on the economics. Maybe we'll talk about quantitative easing and all the fun stuff, right? Before we go into a technical piece, I do want to ask about the mindset of a lot of these investors, people that you work with today, because man, 400 investors, $150 million plus of real estate, you see a lot of trends even in that. So you know, what are some of the things that the, you know, your investors are doing to have success versus some of the other people that are not? And, and you know, talk a little bit about their mindsets. This is, this is going to be a great one. Okay, cool. So I just got done doing some sessions for this thing coming up, which is a, a summit that we're doing. And I'm a mm-hmm. perfectly positioned to do this. Before I go into any of this, I just want to say like, my role on this planet to a large degree is to first hear information especially like high level information and then repurpose it and communicate it in a way that I think makes it more easily understandable to my audience. So I'm not the source of a lot of these ideas or data points or anything like that. I've been very fortunate to be positioned in such a way where I can talk to a lot of those sources. So sometimes people are like, Hey, what research do you do? It's all in preparation for the interviews I conduct. I'm not the person going out saying, I figured out this new economic trend. I'm never that person. But you know, I just conducted an interview with Dr. Peter Lindemann. I recently talked to you know, someone that consulted with the IMF, the person that's credited with inventing commercial mortgage-backed securities. I'm not claiming to be that guy, but what I am kind of good at, I got a skill at, is being able to re-clarify and kind of re-communicate their ideas through my lens. Is that fair? So now I can yeah. go off and just go on a tangent. Okay. Yeah, for, for sure. I, I I appreciate it. I think that's, you know, what we're all trying to do is learn. And a lot of us are not the sources of, uh, but man, if we can help others get it, understand it, clarify, you know, just make it simple enough for us to say, yeah, that sounds good. Let's take some action. I totally. love it. I love it. Exactly. Yeah. So people say, Hey man, you, you can explain it like to a seven-year-old. It's like, well, I think like a seven-year-old. So it's kind of a natural thing. <laughs> so um, in terms of answering your question, I think that one thing 
in the really high net worth circles that I've been able to like talk to and such. Mm-hmm. The big thing is a lot of people listening to this show right now have a goal of having a family office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I want to make clear is that you do have one and act accordingly. Mm-hmm. You are running yeah. the family office right now. And yeah. let's talk about what a family office is and we can break it down in terms of when it starts to make sense to build something more formal out. In 2017, I believe, I made a mistake in terms of capital allocation where I didn't invest money towards the end of the year after experiencing a significant gain to offset that gain with depreciation. Mm. And it cost me around $50,000 if I had been paying a little bit more close attention. I could have been able to time the sale better. I could have been able to allocate the capital prior to the end of the year. And it probably saved me, it probably would have saved me $50,000, which is disgusting, right? So that begins to be the conversation of how family offices are created. What I mean by that is if I had simply paid someone $50,000 that year to make sure I don't make that mistake, they would have been able to make up for their salary. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the larger the game you're playing, the more you can invest in your quote family office to offset those potential mistakes. Mm-hmm. And this is true at the highest of levels. Let me just give you a, so that's like smaller level, which is me. The other level is like this. If you are managing a billion dollars and you just have a hundred million that goes uninvested for a month, <laughs> what can you hire to ensure that doesn't happen again? Yeah. Yeah. And that's how you should think about your capital being extremely efficient from a gross income standpoint, a net income standpoint, and a tax deferral tax elimination standpoint. So you should be thinking like that as an investor, always, depending on what level you play at, the more infrastructure you can build under you. Yeah. What a great mindset because I, you know, people say, oh, well, it's a family office. I need to have X millions of dollars. You know, I've, I've heard it very, I don't know if it's a formal thing, but 20 or 50 million or whatever, high net worth individual H, uh, NWI ultra high net worth individual U H NWI. And then, Oh, this is at this tier where family offices, because you have a structure around it. But in truth, like what you said, and if you make a $50,000 mistake, that could have been a headcount of an analyst, a tax strategist, uh, somebody to help you on the depreciation side to look at your own schedule and say, hey, this is how to avoid it. And I just saved you my salary. And now let's talk about next year and figure out how to even grow. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Correct. That's a great mindset, man. I, uh, I love that. And in, in that, somebody to watch your six, right? If, if it's uh, just a little simpleton like myself. I'm actually beneficiary of hiring internally good operations officer, chief of staff that's helping us make sure that we watch all of the data points that I can literally watch. And man, it's uh, it's already paying dividends and haven't even really started in full time. So I'm excited about that. I got to sneak in one thing since we talked about mindset. Yeah, I, was yeah. at, I was at a meeting recently and I don't, I honestly don't recall where, but their goal, they were a family office and mm-hmm. they were like, oh, that's not the goal. So the concept of a family office is that you have an infrastructure that's so large to kind of focus on your finances Mm -hmm. and they have a family office and they're like, oh, that shouldn't be your goal. The goal should be able to have a foundation. So let me Mm -hmm. break down what that is. That's Mm -hmm. your philanthropic portfolio is so large that the same principle applies to that in the sense of the moves that you're making are so big that you need a team on which 
can deliberate how to make them because the efficiencies of your philanthropy are so important at that one. That literally, dude, you can't see this if you're audio only, but the hair on my arm stands up because doesn't that expand your horizons? That's big. Yeah. For those that aren't, you know, experiencing this side, uh, it was, it's a new mindset for me, just even this 2021 for us was the first time we were able to write checks to some nonprofits that had commas in them. You know, outside of church, which we tithe and donate in that part of it, it's like, wow, this nonprofit organization got a big check from us. And in 2022, it's wow, I guess we're at that point where we start our own nonprofit and figure out how to watch that as its own system and entity. But I hadn't really thought about even something to watch that my organization or foundation are giving such an entity where you have to have somebody to watch that. That's, uh, Dude, imagine that. having $400,000 a year employees working for that foundation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Baller. If you're, you know, watching now and you're in the, you know, high net worth category, ultra high net worth. I mean, that the, the giving part, you probably already know, or if you haven't experienced, it's an opportunity from the tax strategy, but also really to give to the areas that, you know, you feel passionate about. And it is motivation for me to make more on the front end. It's serious motivation. It's, you know, a little bit more, I, you know, wanted to create some wealth, wanted to work with my, for us and our family and figure out financial freedom. And now it's, oh, how, how much can we give? Well, let's, let's try to figure that part out. So thank you. Thanks for elaborating on that a little bit, the mindset of it. Hello, hello. You're listening to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. If you're enjoying this podcast, then I know you're serious about achieving financial freedom. Are you ready to create your own path through multifamily investing for yourself and your family? Then I know you're gonna appreciate our investor's guide to multifamily investing. It's titled Tackling Commercial Real Estate the Easy Way. We use this guide to invest ourselves in $93 million worth of real estate. So we're gonna show you the basic mechanics of multifamily syndications and how to evaluate your next passive investment opportunity. So the best part, if you subscribe to our podcast now, leave us a review and a rating. I'm going to give you a free copy of our ebook. So please take a moment to do that now. Once you've done that, go to 5tcre.com forward slash ebook, 5tcre.com forward slash ebook. Make sure to let us know you left a review and we're going to send you a free copy. So thank you so much for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast. We really appreciate it. So anyways, man, there's a lot of stuff going on right now in the free, in the economy. Fed is increasing interest rates or they signaled, they signaled, they signaled, they finally did it. 25 basis points. So that's 25 basis points. You have the, the approaching of the inverted yield. You have inflationary time. You have all of these different, you know, systems, if you would, it, like, in, like in just we're watching the weather, all the systems are coming together over one geographic spot and and you know it's turbulent times in some areas man i don't even know what to think of it all and and uh i'm trying to listen to as many resources as possible but you being the allocator of information as well i'd love to hear some of your thoughts on the economy what's happening you know and and what kind of moves your investors and you are making that'd be awesome So let's talk about the yield curve really quickly because that's one of the reasons I wanted to come on the show, why so many people are chattering about the economics. So typically speaking, yield curves, if you imagine X and Y axis, yield curves slope up and to the right. 
meaning that the further you go out on the x-axis, which I believe is <laughs> correct, the further you go out, the higher the return would be. And that makes sense because you're incurring time risk if you're a bond investor that you're going to be paid off. The longer you can get paid off, the higher the return will be because the longer the time is. Mm -hmm. But an economic phenomenon takes place sometimes uh, where people believe that there's so much risk in the short term that people kind of exit the short-term bonds, at which creates an increase in those yields so much so, and by the way, people start buying long-term bonds so much so that these short-term bonds have higher yields than the long-term bonds. And the one metric that everyone focuses on is the 10-year and the two-year. And historically speaking, it's been a very accurate predictor of recessions, usually 18 to 20 months after the inverted yield curve takes place. And so the question is, you know, that did happen. What's the implications? And I think that while there is likely going to be a recession, the there's a couple of things going on. Number one, I don't anticipate that there's going to be a significant pullback in real estate prices with that recession. Um, historically speaking, those things are not intertwined. We can't help but remember what happened in 2008. But if you recall, that global crisis to a large degree was created by real estate. Like it isn't, it's almost, I think once every eight or so recessions have any sort of 15% or more correction in real estate. 15% correction in real estate is catastrophic. But this particular situation is through the lens of what happened in 2008. What I mean by that is that when the economy slows down, when COVID happens, they smash the multi trillion dollar print the money button. And that Pandora's box has been opened. And I don't think it's going to be closed for a couple of reasons I can get into. But what happens when they click that button? $6 trillion was printed by the United States Federal Reserve. Another $4 trillion was printed by central banks all over the world. And so $10 trillion new dollars in the last 24 months have been brought into existence, which flood the capital markets, first to the bond markets, which is one of the reasons why this might be happening, then to private equity, venture capital, and to real estate. But real estate in the United States is going through this crazy supply and demand imbalance. There's a huge demand. We're probably, depending on who you ask, four to five million units short, and building has basically not recovered since 2008. So, this $10 trillion tsunami, many of which will land in the US markets, will crash into real estate. And those holding those assets are going to benefit. So, the potential moment that everyone's waiting for, which is when can we buy with the biggest private equity companies? in the world, name them, Blackstone, BlackRock, Bain, highest cash reserves in history. They're all asking the same thing. When is this buying opportunity going to happen? And what I want to communicate to you and your listeners is that it's happening right now. This is that opportunity to surf that crashing wave of liquidity or let the opportunity pass you by. Yep. Yep. So there's a a couple of things. I'm excited. And I guess the hairs on my arms are standing up <laughs> because for us and our investors, we are on the hunt every single day looking for assets to invest in. And you know, our investors know that if they go to our website, fivetalents.capital, they get registered, they get a little alert, deals come out and there's a new opportunity. But as dollars come in, you know, I think about it. The hard part is those are people that you know are with us they know you, they know me, 
They're in our systems, but the mass majority of other people who are not in the know, the, the opportunities just pass them by. And they think that means I have to buy, I have to put my money into a single family house or a single asset that I own and operate. If they're buying commercial, maybe a family is buying a commercial, but they're operating themselves and you miss out on the scale of many multiple opportunities and diversification. I mean, that the quantitative easing that that Hunter mentioned. So the printing of money when the Fed, the Federal Reserve, the Fed prints money, they basically it's a it's a technology thing on a computer that shows up in a bank that says it's X amount of dollars in your bank account. And then they start printing and put it out there. It is nuts to see the flood of capital that's coming across for the past few years. And you you can't lay back and say, wow, the buying power of my money is getting eroded every single day. The other part, the lack of supply housing. So that's exactly right. The purchasing power of your money is getting eroded, but there's a way to play this game optimally. And you're talking about the difference between the 1% and everybody else. Let's break this down. And this is the unfortunate reality. If you know much about me, first of all, if you don't, I'm trying. I'm trying my little heart out to make sure that you do. Second of all, if you don't, um, I'm a proponent of the Austrian school when it comes to what the central banks would do or what the government should do. Usually I just say, stop right there. The answer is no, (laughs) right? Regardless of how that sentence ends, the answer is no. However, I know what they do do because we can see it. Like we can see what they are doing and we live in that reality. So my goal is for investors to act accordingly. If you want to speak out against these things, that's fine, but let's play the game as it is currently being played. And so what I mean by that is inflation is the game of the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And I don't want you to be on the losing side of that equation. Mm-mm. But what inflation- yeah, part of what we're doing is the education here because the average Joe, average worker, and you're getting you're getting hammered. You you it's just you earn a buck and unfortunately a dollar is not worth a dollar anymore and government's already taking part of your of your earnings and you got to figure out where to place it to beat inflation. So sorry, go ahead. No, that's exactly right. And then your boss says, congratulations, we gave you a 3% raise. You made it. You only lost 5% this You're year. Like, yeah, 5% inflation. Yes. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Right. So here's the way like inflation works for real estate investors. I'm trying to think of the most clear way to say this, but first, I think a lot of people think real estate is a hedge against inflation. And that's kind of where the conversation ends. We accept that reality. It is far more compelling than that. Inflation is a massive tailwind to real estate for three main reasons. There's kind of a separation between equity markets, prices of valuations of assets and consumer prices. So when money is printed, you see the stock market rise, you see real estate assets, the multiple on which their income is traded increases. So if nothing else trades, changes, the values increase. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. real estate is traded on a multiple of net income. So when inflation happens, rental rates, let's say to be conservative, simply track with inflation. Like after you implemented the business plan, I know over at Five Talents, you guys want to raise rents like by 15% because you're buying from an owner that doesn't know what you're doing. But once you've done that, mm-hmm. you should be mm-hmm. conservative and say rents are going to track at the rate of inflation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so expenses should also track at the rate of inflation. Mm-hmm. It's a But it's not a wash. It's not, oh, everything tracked at 5%, 5% gross, 5% expenses, and it's a wash to the bottom line. It is not. Because the assets that you and I buy are weighted towards net income, not expenses. If it was 50-50, it would be a wash, but it's not 50-50. 
Meaning the operating expense ratio of these assets is usually somewhere in the range of 45%, 42%. In self-storage, you might see a 32%. And so what that means is that the gross might be increasing by 5%. The expenses are increasing by 5%, but the net is actually increasing. The net is increasing because those mm-hmm. things are not on a one-to-one basis. I know it's kind of difficult to look at without a calculator, but are you following yeah. kind of what I'm saying there? Yeah. And, and I think for most of our listeners, you, you know, just to, when we look at the valuation of a company, you're looking for the net operating or the net income at the bottom line, not the top, but the bottom line. And you're tracking year one versus year two versus year three versus year four. And obviously we all want a higher net income at the projected two-year, three-year, four-year. And as your expense ratio is lower on that side, you're basically creating more income as the rents increase. So that's what we all want. We all want more net operating income. And that improves our valuation on multifamily or any, you know, basically any asset class that we're all working to to acquire to place capital in. So yeah, we're we're tracking. That's exactly right. So that's two ways. The mm-hmm. equity multi, the equity multiplier or the value of the asset increases by the nature of inflation. Mm-hmm. You also have the nature of kind of the net operating income increasing because the top line is increasing more disproportionately favorably than mm-hmm. the bottom line, the expenses. But then you also have this other piece, which is why all of this is happening, which is the debt piece. If I buy a $15 million piece of property and I put down- yeah. $5 million and I borrow $10 million, the purchase price or the purchase power of that $10 million today will be eroded by inflation. Meaning that if inflation continues at 8% per year, that $10 million of purchase power is going to be mm-hmm. cut in half by year 10. Meaning that yeah. the net, like the today's value of the dollar in year 10, I only have to pay them back half of the purchase power that it is today. Mm-hmm. So they're literally lending you money at net negative adjusted for inflation rates to buy an asset which will increase in value in terms of the equity multiplier and in terms of the net income. It is that moment that I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a, you know, 2 to 5 million dollar net worth individual and you think, "Hey, I've made it." I would say kudos to you. Congratulations. You have more net worth than a lot of folks population percentage wise. However, if your goal was two to 5 million originally, and you said, this is it, I'm done. I don't need any more. I would say what to Hunter's point. No, the new mark is how do I get to 10 million? How do I get to 20 million? Because your buying power is going to be very, you know, if you want the same type of living, you know, quality of life today versus 10 years from now, you need to start thinking about that. And I, you know, one of the things that I hear a lot of is the strategy of taxes, tax, you know, essentially making sure that all my dollars stay mine and not the government's and playing that game. So um, Hunter, I'm I'm conscious of time. I know we only have a couple minutes left. There was this lack of supply housing bullet point. There's the tax benefits uh, strategy. And I still want to make sure we tell our our audience how to reach you. So man, I'm going to let you choose because these are valuable minutes. What do you think our our audience that's trying to build wealth, you know, would, would, be benefit most. So I just mentioned the summit that I'm doing, which is the 100K to invest summit. And if you go to 100K, like the number 100K to invest.com, you can see a list of speakers that cover just a variety of different niches. Each 
subject, each panel is, or I guess each summit session is a different niche or a different strategy to protect, grow, and multiply your wealth in 2022. And one of the things, and by the way, it's again, it's 100K to invest. It's free registration, but you should definitely upgrade so you can get lifetime access to everything. One of the strategies is the tax deferred uh, sales trust. And a good friend of mine, Brett Swartz, is going to talk about one of the most underutilized, flexible tax deferral strategies that very few people are implementing. And yeah. In short, if you have a million dollar capital gain, which I know is a tall order, but in the event that you do, this could be one of the most powerful tools ever. It has been through many, many audits at the highest of levels, top four accounting firms, et cetera. And you basically, there's a way to defer a million dollar capital gain, put it into a trust. And then basically there's some nuance there, which we'll get into during the summit. But even if you aren't ready to implement something like this, you having that tool in your tool belt for yourself or someone in your network later down the road is really important. And honestly, that's one of 22 sessions. So we talk about Bitcoin mining, ATM machines, mobile home parks, cell storage, RVs, crypto, Dow funds. I mean, all of it. Because each like that's my position as a passive investor. I'm interested in learning what experts are doing and I'm yeah. asset class agnostic. So yeah. I want to defer to their expertise in their particular niches. And to your question about kind of supply and demand imbalance, there is a crazy supply and demand imbalance, not just with housing, but in terms of investments. That's why all these major firms are at all-time highs in terms of cash reserves, because there's a huge demand for investment opportunities and a very small amount of them. So we want to open it up, 100k2invest.com. Yep. I love it. I love it. Well, Hunter, very appreciative of the time, effort, and energy that you've taken to kind of give some education to our investors. And I know we had a hard stop here, but uh, is there anything else you think we... Uh, didn't quite talk about anything that you wanted to, you know, hit on before you left. And, and if not, we'll time to close out a show, man. This has been a great, great effort though. I'm excited. I'll do it really quickly. So the reason I look at economic data is because I understand that economic can slap you if you're not paying attention. So mm -hmm. this is not some perma bull outlook that I have. I'm not bullish if you hold cash, right? So like the argument can be made that this is always the case. You should always be invested. And of all the people yeah. that I've interviewed, those who have been able to intelligently participate in all stages of the cycle are those who win. That this does yeah. not mean that you should go out and invest with anyone. Find groups with specific market advantage that you align with from an ethical standpoint and go all in on them. Do not spray and pray. If you don't have a competitive advantage in this market, you're going to get hammered because people are starting to figure out what I'm saying, not because it's me that's saying it, because the people that I listen to, this message is getting out. So all of a sudden, you're starting to see things get really, really competitive. And so in order for you to beat your competitors, you must have some software market advantage, you know, industry standard, vertical integration, software that no one's said, like, you know, proprietary stuff that can't yeah. be replicated. That's what I'm trying to invest in now. Yeah, I love it. Well, it's been a it's been a pleasure, and I appreciate you know having you as a mentor and a you know coach and a guide you know somebody to provide guidance. So if you didn't know, I get to meet and hang out with Hunter often, part of his uh, mastermind, and so just really just you know soaking in the information, an allocator of information, allocator of capital, which I am trying to be the same, which is allocate our investors' capital to the investments that produce the best amount of yield with the best amount of tax uh, benefits. 
So if, if anybody's listening now that wants to be in San Antonio, Texas, officially the Pachecos are sons of the Republic of Texas. We had a defender, Luciano Pacheco, that was there at the Alamo and kind of traced it all back and stamped it. No so if you all want to want to invest in San Antonio multifamily as one of the, the areas, man, love to connect with you. Our website is www.5talents.capital. And you can go onto the website. We'll get a little bit of information for you. And I try to funnel as much of these nuggets from Hunter into our own uh, investing thesis and the allocation. So excited. Hunter, you're the freaking man. Thank you very much for joining. I appreciate you guys are doing amazing stuff over there. Can't thank you enough, buddy. All right. Thank you very much. Talk to you all uh, soon. See you all next week. Bye-bye. Peace. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Five Talents Podcast with myself, your host, Abel Pacheco. We really appreciate you liking, following, subscribing, and leaving all the written reviews for the Five Talents Podcast. Each week, we're going to continue to bring interviews with private equity folks, VCs, advisors, financial planners, strategists, tax strategists, and other stewards of capital, many of which advise the wealthiest 1% on what to do with their money. So we appreciate you joining. Also, if you want to be notified of monthly future events we're hosting or attending, and if you want exclusive access to the same investment opportunities that have largely been reserved for the wealthiest 1%, many of which you've rarely ever heard about, go now to our website, watch our wealth building case study, and register to be added to our investment club. We're going to send you future opportunities and you'll be able to watch all the moves that we made firsthand. Your investment journey is waiting for you to take the next step. So what is the next step? Go to www.5talents.capital. That's 5talents.capital and register today. Thank you again. We can't wait to bring you the next show. And thank you for liking and subscribing.